Hello and welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast. I'm your host, Will Chernoff, and this episode is brought to you by 12th Street Sound, a production, recording, and mixing studio in New Westminster, BC. Anthony Santorini at 12th Street Sound has a special offer for you, the listener. If you're an artist on a budget, somebody who needs some space to craft their story as an artist, you're looking to cook up some new music here in the second half of 2022, you can get up to 20% off your next recording project with Anthony at 12th Street Sound. Now, he has a package designed specifically for the kind of artists on a budget that want to get a project done at a reasonable rate that still stands up to the best of the best. But whatever your project might be, you can talk to Anthony about it, and he will be happy to give you access to a special rate. So to take advantage of this offer for listeners of this show specifically, go to 12thstreet.ca slash RCP to learn more about how you can save up to 20% off your next recording project. That's 12thstreet.ca, 12thst.ca slash RCP. This episode is sponsored by Railtown Mastering. I'm going to tell you something that I don't think I've actually said anywhere publicly until now, which is that I'm working on my second album as William Chernoff. Now, when I completed my first album, after I got the mixes done, I had to get it mastered. And if you don't know, mastering is when you finish the recordings that you've already mixed and you prepare them for release in whatever format you're doing. So that's digital or CD or vinyl, etc. And who mastered my first album? Well, you guessed it. It was Andrew at Railtown. So I'm super proud to have him sponsoring the show because I think he did a fantastic job. And that's why I'm going to hire him to do it again for my second album here. I'm actually just about to email him. And if you need to get your music mastered this year, I recommend you do exactly what I'm doing. So you can go to railtownmastering.com to learn more about Andrew, who he's worked with, and his rates for the different services he provides. And to send him your music, email him directly at andrew at railtownmastering.com. That's andrew at railtownmastering.com to get your music mastered this year. Okay, so usually you hear the guest's voice here. On today's remarkable episode, you'll soon see that this one's pretty cool. Your boy's been doing podcasts for a little bit, and... I ran out of hard drive space while this one was rolling, so <laughs> the guest and I talked for probably over two hours and if you wanted two hours of conversation i apologize that i'm not getting that for you today i'm not able to render the whole thing but here is the conversation that we had up to the point where my hard drive got full of podcast goodness i am migrating to an external drive now so this doesn't happen again thanks for bearing with me on this podcast learning journey let's get into the episode Happy Wednesday and coming at you from New Westminster, BC, this is the Rhythm Changes podcast, the only weekly interview podcast about jazz and creative music in Canada. Wow, this week's episode is quite special. I haven't done like this in quite some time. It's very long, if you haven't already noticed by the runtime. This is a good friend of mine, a great guitarist in the Vancouver jazz scene, and we talk about quite a lot of stuff here. So get ready, you're in for a ride. Our guest today is a guitarist, producer, lessons teacher, writer. He's written for Rhythm Changes in addition to everything else he does in the Vancouver jazz scene. And somebody I've looked up to, to be honest, among the group of my peers here, because I've always thought that you don't want to learn necessarily all the time, one-on-one -on -one directly from like an absolute master, because a lot of the stuff is going to fly over your head. You want to learn, I always thought at least, in my opinion, from somebody who's 
two steps ahead of you, but on the same journey. And this is somebody who's been two steps ahead of me for about 10 years now. So please welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, Chris Fraser. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. Wow, that's very flattering. <laughs> well, thanks for coming to New West. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Yeah. I'm doing really well. Yeah, yeah. Better every day, as you, they say. Do you feel like Jazz Fest, it's a thing of a past now, you're living in the here and now here at the end of July? A little bit. I mean, I don't know. I, this year at Jazz Fest was different. Like this year at, at Jazz Fest, I feel like there's, I'm feeling a bit more of like the residual buzz from Jazz Fest compared to previous years. Like obviously Jazz Fest ends and like there's no more, you know, touring musicians in town or anything like that. But I do feel like, like, I don't know. I, I, I put together a gig like uh, the Friday after Jazz Fest and like people came out. All right. And it felt like a, you know, big old show. People were listening and it was, uh, I mean, I feel like there, there is a listening culture in Vancouver that I, that feels new. Okay. But, uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like Jazz Fest, it really got people, I think it really got people excited about live music. Yeah. So in past years, I would have felt this way too. Do you feel like there's, it's almost like a summer vacation kind of situation where it feels like everybody's gone for a couple of weeks after? Yes. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that does happen. I think people do just kind of like, because a lot of people, I mean, like that's the busiest part of their year. So yeah. like, as soon as that's finished, they, you know, they get out of here, they go on vacation or whatever. But I mean, also it, it does sort of feel that way because a lot of my closest friends who don't live in town come to Jazz Fest and then and then go back to where they're from, right? Like literally, yeah. David Blake, one of my closest friends, lives in New York now. Comes here for Jazz Fest and then leaves. Mealy and Eli, we got to play a show, played at Tyrant Studios. Yeah. Um. So I'm really happy I got to play with them. But uh. But yeah, they're back. They're back in Montreal, and now I'm now I'm here in Westminster with you. <laughs> so you are feeling that literally that thing where you know when yeah. you talk about the international stars, it's like yeah yes. they come in here and then they come out. But you've had these friendships for long enough now that you. Yeah are really close friends with really established Canadian jazz artists who are yeah. in their late 20s and their 30s. Yeah. And they're doing that. They're coming yeah. here and they're playing great gigs and then they got to go home, right? That's right. Yeah. I yeah. guess that's just what it's turning into <laughs> it's now. Yeah. 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 So it's a, I, I guess, yeah, the, the answer is both. Yeah. Either and. <laughs> so that Tyrant gig, you've been playing a lot. You play a lot at the Poor House. You play at the Tangent. You've played at the Jazz Fest in different ensembles. When was this particular Tyrant thing with Millie and Eli? Tyrant was two Fridays ago. It was here. Let me so uh, end of the festival kind of situation. It was right after the festival ended. It was the it was that same week that the festival ended. Gotcha. So yeah. This festival always ends on the Sunday, so it was the Friday after the. Oh, Sunday. after okay, yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah, then they were doing Millie and Eli were doing the Fr Frankie's Late Show on the last actual weekend of the festival. They That's did the right. After Dark set. Yes. And then before that, that, I got to MC for them and listen to them at the Water Street, David Blake, Eli Davidovich, Emilia. The Hong. one where the, the, where power, the power went out. out. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And it just it just ended after that, right? Like the Well, we had hope for maybe 15 minutes. People didn't know what was going on. And then somebody at the restaurant, this is what I heard at least, I don't know if it actually went, how it actually went down, but then they heard from BC Hydro that they weren't going to be able to restore power to their building or their block or whatever until overnight. So, you know, they had to close the restaurant at that point and settle up everything that I, that must've been quite an adventure. But then at that point, uh, we knew that the, the guys were going home. Was it because of another historic heritage building being burned down in the downtown east side? <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> not that, you know, we could, uh, 
we could perceive. So yeah, yeah but that was yeah, that was yeah. funny one. It was a burning set of music though, yeah. ironically. So oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Man, yeah. But then you you played with them too, and you're you're good friends with all three of them. Yeah. You know, David, Millie, and Eli. So what did you play when you played at Tyron? What did you play? Uh we did uh a good mix of stuff, just like stuff that we all like to play. I, th- I think what we had in mind was that Kurt Rosenwinkel, uh, Mark Turner, Jeff Ballard, Larry Grenadier quartet. That that's like kind of the idea that we had. But I mean, I brought a couple of my own tunes. I also brought an arrangement of a Phoebe Bridgers tune. Oh yeah, Savior Complex. You know okay, Dan Dirksen. He contacted me only like not even two weeks before then for the gig. Because I had been bugging him to get a gig at Tyrant for a while. And he he messages me and he's like, hey, somebody dropped out. Um, I need someone to play on this Friday night. Can you do it? And I said, yes. And then I asked everyone if they could do it. And they said, yes, thankfully. Um, and that was actually the the night before the three of them were actually flying out to Montreal. Even John Nicholson, who was playing, he also flew out to Montreal just to visit his brother who lives there for a couple of days, but also Amelia and Eli were leaving the next day. So like, it was very, like we just barely got them before they were all leaving to be able to do this really, really fun show. But I was, I was super pleased with it. Um, yeah, we filled up the room. I know you've been to Tyrant, right? Yeah. I played there once as a leader way back in January, 2020, I guess. And I played there with pre-COVID. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Okay. I had a weird band, uh, a a funky band, a a mishmash of things because I was kind of between projects. Uh Uh, My band was um, Gabrielle Dubreuil, my my best friend Gabe on violin and Alvin on guitar. Okay. And uh, Carson on drums, who has always played drums with me. Uh, I love Carson. And then I had Thad on trumpet for the first set. Nice. Uh, so it was kind of like a set <laughs> what, one, set two split situation. Yeah, he had to leave. <laughs> that yeah. wouldn't surprise me, man. Yeah. And then somebody else had to leave too. I can't remember, but it was like a, yeah, it was like a split set situation. So that was actually the first time I, um, it, there was the first time I played at Tyrant, but it wasn't the first time I met uh, Dan. Uh, I met Dan because Dan was great friends and musical partners with this guy named bill moisey mm. uh, i don't know if you're familiar with him but he passed away of cancer last year and uh he was a long time like he was probably in his 50s or something he was like a long time oh, okay. sound oh. tech and and mm. like a, a technician but also a musician and composer who wrote like really kind of frank zappa avant-garde kind of okay and like would put together right, okay. epic ensembles to deliver this music. And so he did that at the Seashell Arts Festival. Okay. And so, and him and Dan kind of co-arranged and maybe co-wrote a lot of this music together. Oh. Uh, nice. And so they roped in a bunch of oh, random so it's players. Oh, like a tribute to his friend. Yeah. Like this Zappa kind of music that he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. So I wanted to, I wanted to mention Bill Moisey on an episode of the show at some point yeah. because yeah, we miss Bill and, and he was, he was a great dude. But yeah, the Seashell Arts Festival in 2019, that was yeah. when I met Dan because he brought me in. He brought Gabe in as well to play violin. Cool. Like James Meager was up there. Who else was up? There were like oh, yeah. 12 of us yeah. who went up to Seashell that nice. weekend. And then after that, then I played at Tyrant a couple months later because then I found out he was doing that. And I was like, oh, yeah. sweet. And then, yeah, I played there with Amber Sang a couple, couple months ago. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. cool. Also with Alvin? 
Uh, yeah, that was Amber, Alvin, Clem Pytel on drums, Dean on piano, and me on bass. So great. That was, that was good times. Clem's a great drummer too. That was the first time I met him to play with him for that gig. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He subbed a couple times for uh, for Todd in this uh, bigger band that that I did the last uh, the last year. What was that? I don't know if I remember. You don't this. know about bigger band? It was it, it was the VCC ensemble. Oh yeah, Dean was doing this too. Dean right? was, was in it. It was me. It. it it was a great band, honestly. Oh, so you played on Dean's things in that band? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That yeah, yeah, checks yeah. Out. yeah. 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 Gotcha. So it was it yeah. was just this last from uh, from about late September up until April. We basically just did this VCC course. Okay, yeah, no, I know what that is. I thought it was like the Chris Fraser bigger band or something. I was like, no, I no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. It was it was the VCC bigger band. It was yeah. uh, John Corsred's yeah course that he teaches. Even though like I think at most one band member was an actual VCC student. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> else broader. registered for the course, uh, but not for any other part oh, okay, of the program. Yeah. So, but it was a great group, uh, and. Uh, that's also how I got to know uh, Jocelyn Waugh a little bit better. Nice. She was in the group, and then she asked me to play Jazz Fest on, on the Sunday, on the last day of Jazz Fest, and that was with Winston Minkler and Omar Mwani. That was an awesome nice. show. That was a really good Where show. Where was that? That was at the Roundhouse. Okay, yeah. Was that around when Thad? I know Thad played at the Roundhouse. Thad played yeah. the day before. Day before, okay. Um, yeah. And we were the last band at that venue. You're closing it out. I always play the last day of Jazz Fest for some reason. You're the closer. I'm You're the, the closer. Yeah, Mr. Right. Reliable. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'm coming in at yeah, you know, like bottom Jeff of the Parker eighth. closed <laughs> yeah. the actual festival down at Ironworks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It's me. It's totally me. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I guess that's just how it goes. But it was a, it was a great show. The, the crowd loved it. It was Jocelyn's first time leading a group. Really? I think maybe ever. Such a strong side player, I thought. For I know, sure. yeah. yeah. Like yeah. she, well, that's, I think that's the thing. Like she's just kind of been, you know, jobbing yeah. and like building her chops. And she's become like such a, yeah, such a strong player. And she sung a tune. She sung, oh. uh, she sung Robert Glasper version of, afro blue oh yeah <laughs> we played um it was an interesting like uh combination of tunes we ended up doing which is which is totally typical of someone who's just trying to like figure out like what they want to do like as a band leader like i it was fun to do and i think that like with winston and omar being such like vets at this point like they could just kind of like make any combination of you know tunes just sound cohesive and consistent right like maybe i had you know a self-conscious thought where i was thinking like is this all gonna like fit together like we're doing like this robert glasper thing and then we're also doing you know a wayne shorter tune and then we're also doing a regular we're doing a regular standard and like all this kind of stuff but it all fit together really really well like i said like the crowd loved it we got a standing ovation for both sets okay i've never from seen the a same crowd <laughs> pretty the, much the same people the same crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i've never seen a standing ovation for the first set of a two-set show but, yeah, that's that's a bit odd. That's almost like <laughs> clapping between movements at a at a classical concert. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like you know what? It was. I'll take it. It was a it was a huge morale booster for sure. Not that it needed to be boosted, but it was like. Oh, you always need something. It's a yeah. two way street. You always need a little morale boost. There's yeah, no and also like you know, especially like, there's always a bit of like pressure when you're playing jazz fest, where it's like you need to be 
legit. You need to be validated, <laughs> like when you're there, right? Like, like. Oh yeah, you need to be validated. Okay, I see right? Or like, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I need to feel validated when I play. Well, Dungeons I've never played there, so I don't know. Right, but right, I right, thought right, you were right. gonna say like, oh, you feel like you need to be legit in how you present yourself, but no, you're yeah. talking about the other direction. Like, you need to feel like you belong there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like there that that's always uh, like may, maybe at a certain point, like you know, you you grow out of that. Um, like I was talking to Brad Turner at the show and he told me that he's played it uh like literally every vancouver international jazz festival but there's been. <laughs> yeah believe it and i'm like okay so like maybe, maybe he probably feels uh, valid there maybe you're starting to get there <laughs> yeah. at, that, at that point maybe maybe you know yeah. I've, been, I've been playing the jazz fest for a couple of years now which is always great mm-hmm. um i didn't have my own group uh this year although i did do a, a thing right before jazz fest as part of coastal jazz which was Fun. you've had a couple of weeks where you've really been stringing them together like i yeah. you know because we do the the list right i see That's i right. see you sometimes two or three times on a week and these are yeah. at like some of the core venues okay okay yeah so it's like i see you playing two or three times in a week and it's not just at random restaurants that only occasionally and peripherally have jazz right. it's at like the real venues you know well i mean i you know i'm 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 happy to be uh to be able to play i'm trying to give myself more time recently right like i I have always had like a job on the side almost yeah. always since I graduated from cap. Um, Which was in what year? Just to, just to clear I graduated in 2014. 2014. Okay. Yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah. So, and I mean, I, I've always had like some kind of like peripheral like job. And even right now I have, I have like a day job, although I'm cutting down my hours there to just three days a week so that I have more time to be a musician because I've come to the realization that like it's important to actually make a real dedication to being an artist with your time. A practice. Not just yeah. to practice, but to have a practice. Well, yeah, like because like I think, well, you know, like when I first graduated from CAP, I was only like 21, 22 yeah. years old. Yeah. Because I started right out of high school, right? So like when I started at CAP, I was 17. Same. Yeah. And yeah. So and then I, I I did five years. So yeah, I was I was 22 when I finished. And I was like, oh well, I I, I need to pay rent. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And I went through a period of time where I in a two-month stretch before landing a full-time job, I had five different jobs that I went through. Right. Mostly in food service. Wow. And that that sucked totally <laughs> but it was just like that like i i only knew about you know the world outside of school as being like you have a job so i needed to pay rent and i got a job at like shaw cable and i did that for like oh, three yeah, years I remember when you yeah, did that. Yeah. Did shaw cable we've known for... each other for we haven't always been seeing each other often yeah but we've known each other for probably about 10 ish years yeah yeah, yeah like yeah. on and off i remember for sure. when you were working for shaw yeah yeah right. yeah i worked at yeah. shaw and like you know, I, I was making enough money to pay rent, but also like, uh, I've always kind of like up until recently, I'd say I've always kind of like discounted my, uh, I guess like my, my value in the, in the scene and that kind of thing where it's just like, oh, well, I'm nobody. Like, I'm just like, I'm just in, in the background. It's the same like, feeling as when you're looking there, for the like, validation when you have to play. Totally, it yeah. Fest, yeah. Right? And so like, I, you know, I was just kind of like worrying about myself and not really like reaching out to the community or anything like that. And like when I was at Shaw, I was able to 
fund my album that I recorded in 2016. Which is called Give? Yeah. Yeah. Give. And it's still on Bandcamp? It's still on Bandcamp. It's with me and Mealy and Eli. You know, I'm I'm proud of that recording. I think that, like that session was awesome. We did it in one day. Mm-hmm. And I funded it completely just because I had this day job. But I mean, I realize now that you can, <laughs> like, you can get funding, right? Like, you can, if you're an artist, there's people who want to give you money to make art. You're talking about grants. Grants. Yeah. Um, or crowdfunding. Crowdfunding, subsidized housing. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of options. And there are people who are trying to find the artists, find the people who are, uh, who are motivated to uh-huh. do that kind of thing. I had I had a I actually did this um this thing that Music BC does recently a couple months ago called Jumpstart. Oh yeah, is that like a account like a It's a career, career coaching counseling, thing. Career yeah. coaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, who are you with? Uh her name is Christina Lau. Yeah. Um who also has a podcast that's called right. Bombshell Brunch. And we, and we talked for like, you know, 90 minutes. I told her about my situation and like what my what my experience is, what my goals are and everything and she was like, "You need to quit your job." Like you need to quit your day job. So when was this? This was like a couple months ago. Oh wow! In like May, and I was like, "Oh, no one's ever told me that." <laughs> right? No, it's it's funny because like I never, I guess I never saw music as like a money earning venture or anything like that, and I still don't. But I also didn't realize that that meant that it was you know mutually exclusive from making a living. Right, and also we have friends like. I don't know, like just past podcast guests alone, like Alvin and Johnny Tobin. We have friends who play anything and everything. Yeah. And they, their thing is that they can excel in any situation. And then, you know, then that's, you can imagine how that can be a career and how that can provide you with days of work every week, you know, kind of thing. But I didn't always do that. And you didn't always Mm. do that either. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of leads you to think like, oh, when we're here playing jazz, Mm-hmm. on our own terms and in this scene like yeah. then you don't think of it as like you're out there working every night kind yeah, of thing. yeah yeah i i think i've only recently started thinking about like how to define my my artistic vision and it's occurred to me that i actually have a very strong sense of my uh vision as an artist i would second that i know what i can imagine what you sound like i've heard right. you dozens of times sure. right so and you do Thank have you. a you do have a strong sound you have an identifiable voice right i appreciate that Thank oh yeah you. you do and it's something i've developed you know with just the experience that i've over like that 10 I've or made, 15 years right because right? like you know i tell people i worked at shaw for three years after i graduated and that's all i did but you know what i don't tell people is that like yeah i worked at shaw but i was also I recorded an album while I was there. I also was playing at the Libra Room like once a week for a while right. um, while I was working at Shaw. So I would like, you know, finish an eight hour shift at work, go home, grab my stuff, go play at the Libra Room until 12 a.m. And that was experience that completely formed my voice and like, you know, informed my ability to, I, I mean, the Libra Room, you know, say what you will about the Libra Room, right? But I think that it was like the perfect kind of situation to train somebody like myself on how to become an effective leader. Okay. Like an effective band leader. So we have a lot of listeners to this podcast who are too young and they never saw the Libra Room. So you, <sighs> yeah. you might you might be a good person to kind of paint a picture of what this venue was like. I mean, I spent I, a lot I, of time I feel there. like the Libra Room was a good example of uh, like a venue 
a type of venue that that like you don't really see anymore maybe for the better (laughs) but but i mean what the libra room was that since it's been gone has not been has not been repeated is a venue that had music every single night Mm -hmm. sometimes two or three acts of music every night and this is, you know, we're talking like the second floor gas town, you know, is kind of doing that, but not quite, you know. Yeah, not quite totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. Second floor is doing, doing awesome. I yeah. just did their first Tuesday. They just started a right. Tuesday. I just did that. Who'd That's you do really that with? Great. That was with uh, Todd Stewart and Jeff Gammon. Oh, it was great. What a trio, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. wow. On a Tuesday yeah. night, you can I know, hear yeah, just on three a Tuesday. killer, that, killer players. That was, wow. that was funny. That Holy was, smokes. that was a good one. I mean, like, I think... That's where like the post jazz fest uh, lethargy started to kick in because like was when you were playing that gig. Well, not for me. I think for for you know the concert goers. Because oh, like, was, you saw the audience kind of dip a little yeah. bit. Yeah, that's that's when you start. You saw that in literally the first couple of days after the last festival weekend. You you did have you of course you would have a dip in the yeah in the audience there to yeah, some yeah, extent. Yeah. As people are getting back to their day jobs and exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, what a band. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was great. It was awesome. Yeah. So second floor gas town. You know they're they're the closest thing to that maybe we could say in terms of they're they're trying to put music on pretty much every night but the libra room was doing it in maybe a little bit of a looser way and they had more musicians coming through okay there there is there is a specific difference second floor gas town is restaurant it's a restaurant but also second floor the upstairs is much more of a listening room right everyone the libra room is kind of rowdy the libra room was a bar yeah right and you were kind of competing with the room <laughs> for sonic space <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah and, I, I do recall this and it yeah. was uh you know you were competing with the people the the patrons of the lever room and sometimes you were competing with the management of the lever room for right uh for whatever right um but yeah so for people who aren't aware it was a bar and restaurant on commercial drive commercial was, and gravely if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah yeah, yeah. just off commercial and first it was uh, well, it was the the music there was curated by Bruno Hubern, mm-hmm. who for a while lived upstairs from uh, from the Libra Room, but eventually he moved out and instead moved to across the street from Libra and continued to play there and continued to play very there often, at, most nights. Yeah, um, and you're like talking like two set. or three bands, so he would be first, you he know, would and be then one there would be a band. That's right. Yeah. Then, yeah. So usually I would I would play right after Bruno finished his solo set, and you had um, a regular thing arranged with him where he was bringing you in there every week right kind of yeah thing. more or less yeah i i mean it, it wasn't Not it wasn't like as uh, agreed yeah you know it would more like be you know facebook message hello monsieur can you please bring trio uh, tonight <laughs> tomorrow night something like that not a lot of notice but i had given myself you know so it wasn't always the same night of the week no no i oh, mean okay. like it wasn't like you were played, there every thursday night or anything no i i okay. played a lot of i played a lot of wednesdays i played a lot of yeah early week kind of stuff yeah the spots that needed to be filled if they were going to do yeah exactly and i was a young guy um and i was just looking for work and yeah and the leave room would pay 50 bucks a person right for mostly Um, trios for mostly trios so i would get you know i would get whoever was available i remember the first the first day i played the leave room it was in my last year at cap in 2014 i had sent bruno a very uh professional facebook messenger message um asking for a gig maybe you know two weeks before then uh-huh right that he had maybe seen or not seen i i don't know i i just sent it put it out into the ether and i i didn't i didn't know what to expect obviously he didn't reply i'm like okay well maybe he just doesn't he doesn't, doesn't want me it. to play 
And I had a rehearsal with Nightcap. I was in the rhythm section of Nightcap in my last year with Jeff Gammon. Mm-hmm. Josh Wright was drumming in that. Group. Oh, yeah. And we did our rehearsal. The rehearsal ended at like, you know, 4.30 or 5 p.m. or something like that. Um, and we get a rehearsal. I look at my phone, see I have a new message. Bruno has asked me to play that night. And I said, yes. <laughs> I didn't have a band yet, but I said, yes. Oh, yeah. Um, and I and I tell Jeff, like, hey, are you busy tonight? Do you want a gig? And he was like, yeah, sure. um josh wright uh was busy he couldn't do it and i'm walking through the hallways of uh looking for somebody uh, of capilano and my good friend miles wong yeah there you go is uh (laughs) is not busy that night or maybe maybe he had to cancel something i i know he had to like go or maybe he just had to go like pick up his um his gear gear from home first or something like that but he said yes and we met and we played from nine until midnight there you go and usually that would be you know two Two and a half long sets sets. oh yeah yeah. kind of like how the tangent used to be yeah yeah yeah. you know how like like three hours is an awkward amount of time right it's not four hours like pats right yeah Yeah, that's three sets that's got to be three big sets yeah 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 it's it's uh yeah so and i mean it was it was great and like i i don't really remember that first time but i do certainly remember being nervous about playing guitar trio because I didn't have experience playing in a trio setting really. Mm. Um, a lot of like the casual gigs that I had had you up until piano. then, there was a piano player. Or a horn player in front of you. Exactly. It was just or like, a, it was just like, it, it was a thing that I felt like I wasn't ready for. And I, 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 I put a lot of weight onto the idea of guitar trio where it was just like, oh, I need to be filling all of this space. I need to be, you know, melodies which i wasn't necessarily used to doing as much yeah um and uh yeah a lot of my experience before that was or or just like in nightcap or in where uh, it's all written out for you or there's a real structure exactly and so um so i learned a lot from from doing that and then like starting then all all of a sudden like bruno was just like getting me to play all the time i guess he liked so obviously you played well (laughs) i guess so well enough well enough for the leave room yeah and uh you know, it was managed by this guy named Bake, B-E-I-K. Okay. Who had like a dB meter above the bar. If the band got the dB meter to spike into the red zone, he would come up to you and tell you to be quiet. Silly, because jazz is dynamic music. You know, there will be crashes of a cymbal that, that, <laughs> that are, are just loud. loud. And like they create a lot of decibels. It doesn't mean like the general loudness of the band is going to be overpowering anybody. It's going to be loud for one second, then it's going to be fine for the next 30 minutes. If yeah. that, exactly. And most people have, no, <laughs> in my experience, most people have no issue being able to have a conversation while jazz is playing in the background. I mean, the Lever Room was like a super, super busy bar because it was cheap and it was there forever, right? Yeah. So it was just like an old watering hole in, in like the actual like residential part of commercial drive too so like lots of like local people and, and and i didn't even mind that but i also like learned to kind of like get used to a rowdy crowd in a way and like and also like dealing with management that like maybe uh was iffy about you know getting the band paid and that kind of thing and like you know not being afraid to assert myself <laughs> to the person who is uh, technically employing me um right. so i think that was that was also a really um important set of skills but i mean i i will never take for granted 
the experience that I got from playing at the Louvre Room because I I kind of figured out what to do and who I am and what I'm comfortable with and and on all that kind of stuff um, because of it, right? It was, like I said, it was just like a perfect training for anybody. But a lot of the time it ended up being, you know, guitar trios that were like cutting their teeth there, right? Like I would play there and then the next day Tom Warrett would play there with maybe the exact same rhythm section. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and David would do it and Tristan Paxton and... Mike Agronovich, you know, a lot of us were all just kind of like getting our bearings at the Libra Room. Yeah. Which was really cool. And and I miss it for that reason because I feel like, uh, you know, you could, it, everybody who played there got better as a musician because they did it, I, I think. Yeah. Because also uh, the, one of the, uh, one of the advantages of having a rowdy room and a gig that doesn't pay very much anyway is that you, I mean, you can do whatever you want. You don't take it too seriously. Yeah. You can do yeah. whatever you want and it, and you could, it, you could treat it like an open rehearsal. You can like stop playing halfway through the tune and be like, let's try that again. And like, no one's, no one will know the difference, even though like that hardly would ever happen. Anyway, it, it was just good to have that kind of security included where it was just like not a high pressure gig. You can kind of get away with anything, but there still is kind of, you know, you want to put on a good show and you want to play your best and you want to have a good time. And you want to learn how it's done yeah. too in this kind of learning grounds. Yeah. yeah. And and I I really I really appreciated just kind of the concept of getting in there and really, really, really doing it in the real world. Because I had a very, you know, sequestered jazz upbringing within CAP, uh -huh. where most of my experience playing standards and everything was a result of being a CAP or inside the building literally like really getting out into the real world i, I mean i did I, I did a lot of learning out there mm -hmm. yeah something like you know second floor is is a really good example be doing because, that today yeah yeah i mean bonnie seems to be really open to hiring people who are trying to get experience right like you could also say the same thing about um tim doing yeah. the late night thing we're he recording on monday july 18th so there's a Lido gig tonight at the Lido, right, the yeah, Lido. Yeah, yeah yeah he's doing yeah, yeah doing lots of like younger musicians like putting together like bigger groups at the Lido like that's great that's awesome yeah uh, it's I, I mean I wouldn't say that it's the same as the Libra Room because you know it's really being like for the most part it's like actually being promoted there's a stage there you're up on a stage <laughs> yeah and people are listening yeah people are coming people are yeah. probably paying for tickets and that kind of thing so there's a lot more kind of like uh pomp and circumstance compared to the Libra room where it was literally just like every other week I get like a Facebook memory of, of like oh, just yeah. of just myself being like surprise playing tonight at the Libra room <laughs> with Bobby Weens hey, and Nico Whitworth or something like um, nice. you know two people who would probably never play <laughs> probably never played together, together before yeah. then and will probably never, never play again, together ever but again but they did there oh, yeah yeah have did we did I ever play with you there? I feel like I might have once. I, I have this memory of playing the first track from Soul Station. What's it called? Remember. remember. I have I, this I memory of play playing that, that tune with you. It's yeah. It's it's, it's long ago possible. enough now that I I don't recall the details. <laughs> it's certainly possible. Yeah. I mean, I've done you know I did like dozens of nights. Yeah. I think you were calling out the chord changes to me. <laughs> 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 and how does so that that's like that's what you're talking about great i yeah? needed the okay, help man good. i need all the help i can get but that's what we're talking about right like you're yeah. you're talking about 
oh, you could start and stop and you could change it up and and it wouldn't be a problem, right? You were doing that for me and this memory I have of playing this tune where yeah. I didn't know the tune, but you were talking me through the changes so totally, I could play yeah. it, yeah. Well, I mean, I I kind of, I, I do really like to be, I, I, I love to be able to kind of like provide that experience for people, for younger players, you know, like it's, um, I, I mean, like I kind of got that same kind of thing going to the jam. The Pat's Jam? The Pat's Jam. The or Goldie's, even the Goldie's Pizza Jam. jam. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever yeah. go to the Goldie's yes. Jam? Yes. Yeah. 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 Just so, barely. I caught the tail end of it. Yeah. Yeah. So like yeah. I, I did the Goldie's Jam every week. Me and John Nicholson, we lived together at the Pender House. We were each other's support system for going to the jam session at Goldie's. And I mean, like for me, this was before I was friends with David mm-hmm. and he was just like a really good young guitar player in town that I admired. And so... I was just like, wait, so David Blake is playing for free every Monday night? Yeah. And this like, was at like a pizza place that was on Pender and Seymour and it was yeah. downstairs. Yeah. And yeah. that room felt like a jazz club. It did. It was, it was, it was like New York. They had a grand piano. They had a stage. Yeah. It was like, it was, it's man. I remember going there yeah. and I couldn't drink because I was 18. Right. Yeah. 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 You get some pizza. Yeah. And like, it's, it's amazing that band. Like when you think about it, it was every week. It was David Blake, the house band. Yeah. Who lives in New York now. Uh, Winston Minkler, who is like the easily the most working jazz bassist in town now. Andrew Miller, who mm-hmm. lives in New York now. And Brent Ma. Yeah. One of the best saxophone players in the country, if you ask me. And they were playing for free every, every week. Yeah. So like just for that reason, I was happy to go to the jam just to like see them play, see what kind of tunes they were calling how they you know kind of observing that because this was earlier right like before i was doing a lot of my own gigs this was you know probably like 2011 2012 Mm -hmm. i'm just sort of like observing i remember just like you know brent calling just friends and being like oh i need to know just friends if i want to play with brent ma and so i learned just friends (laughs) right that week and like i felt so much more motivation to learn a standard in that context than i did for combo for example right like but i mean that's how i got to know david and became really good friends with him since then that's also i remember like eventually david asked me to to uh host the jam at goldie's one time i remember um ben frost came with me (laughs) okay and I, i maybe i like told him told him to come but i actually have like basically no memory of that because maybe i just like had no idea what i was doing but I do remember that I did I did host it one time. That was that was the fact that I did it was a big deal. But like, <laughs> you know, eventually it's just like, you know, at a point it was just like, okay, well, this is just what I do now. I just go to the jam, learn tunes, and I play with people as much as I can. And I that that just became my routine. That's how you participated. Yeah, exactly. Like, like if you're not if you're not, you know, doing your own gigs, having a jam session in a city at all that's regular is is amazing and we do yeah to this we, day because we, we have, have continuously ever since then yeah for sure because the pats jam took over right from that one when it yeah, started exactly. in 2014 yeah. yeah that's right yeah yeah so and phil boniface was running it yep and um you know i became friends with phil boniface that way and he you know he put me up with like some really really great musicians to where i was kind of like almost in over my head like you you mentioned uh having someone yell the changes out to you <laughs> Someone, someone, some <laughs> unknown person, and that happened to me at the at the Pat's Jam. Okay, when Phil put me up on stage with Paul Rushka, 
Dave Robbins. Whoa. Brad Turner on trumpet. Whoa. Who else was up there? John Gross and Bob Murphy on oh, piano. Oh, wow. That's a lot of people and that's a lot of <laughs> yeah, amazing big, people. Big band. Didn't yeah. need me on stage. No, no. What but, are you going to do? But, uh, <laughs> but Phil was like, no, man, come on. Go up there. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> my, my impression of Phil, I love Phil. Great guy. My, yeah. my impression of Phil is always that like he, like everything that he's telling you is a secret. Oh, kind of like a half whisper. Yeah, just like uh, you know, you know, man, is no, <laughs> like, like it doesn't have to be. It could be like, anything. Yeah, it could be anything. I don't know. It's been a while since I've done my Phil Boniface impression. If he's <laughs> listening, I love you, Phil. I miss you. Yeah, um, Phil Boniface, Christian Brothen, and Sharon. Even at that point, right? Yes, that was the trio right. that hosted yeah, yeah, the yeah, 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 Christian. Yeah, yeah. I played Christian last week. Oh, nice. But yeah, yeah, no, and uh, he put me up, and. John Gross is on stage, so obviously he calls Voyage, <laughs> and I didn't know Voyage, but they but they counted it off, and I was playing Voyage whether I knew it or not. And yeah, Paul was just like screaming out the changes, uh, especially to the bridge. I remember the changes to the bridge. It was like, there's a lot there, um, and like he had to scream them over Dave Robbins, right? Um, Loud drumming, but I. There aren't that many changes. It's it's not a long tune, so like I was able to figure it out. But I'm thinking really hard about it, and I'm you know I was uh, I let Bob comp for John. You know I felt like I had the changes down, so I started comping for Brad on Brad's solo, and then John Gross comes up to me <laughs> and just starts whispering just the wrong changes into my ear. <laughs> just as a joke. Oh no, because <laughs> I don't know if you know John, but like he his whole thing is that he's like. Uh, he he basically will just bust your chops anytime that he gets the opportunity to, um, especially if you're a young player. So you either, you know, and, and I guess he's just trying to see if you can roll with the punches, right? So like, so he was just like try, trying to get me to <laughs> make a mistake, I guess. But I, I mostly thought it was funny because that's probably the funniest thing you can do to somebody in that situation is just try to whisper the wrong changes to them because that's... Coming up with the wrong changes is already already like that impressive. requires thinking. Yeah, yeah, it's impressive yeah. to do. Like, so, <laughs> so I, I saw the humor <laughs> in it, although I I couldn't I couldn't appreciate it at the moment. But but I I I do I do very much now. I cherish that memory. I suppose uh, Phil saw that I had a lot of dedication, and and he wanted to kind of put me in that situation where I kind of felt like I had earned earned that. That's all I can say about like going to the jam. At least it's like the the house band always appreciates people who are there for the right reasons. Not that you can really be there for the wrong reasons, but like you know, like if you're if you're there to learn and you're there to be a part of a community gathering, then the house band understands that and they'll 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 treat you well. In in my experience, at least, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. All this stuff about real world experience, yeah. right? Can I ask you a hard, harder question about that, I guess? Okay, let's try. Yeah, exactly. Let's try because I'll, I'll jump in on this too. So yeah. imagine there's somebody today who is in that age, like where you were when you were first getting exposed to the Libra Room, when you're starting to have all these great real world experiences that you're telling stories from around that age, but hasn't had them yet. And so instead what they have is what you described as the sequestered feeling where you're playing for the classroom yeah. Right. And you, d- there's a level of satisfaction and joy and stuff and, and learning that you 
don't get if you only have that right at some point you got to go out and find yeah that's kind of what we're we're getting at here right? yeah with these kind of stories right so what should that person do today well like like i said like what i had to do was reach out right like i had kind of like learned about reaching out that year because earlier that year i reached out to peter bernstein to get a lesson with him while he was in town he was playing at the cellar and i was like i want to get a lesson with this guy I sent him an email. Um, I don't hear anything back. This was like two months before he comes to town. I sent him an email and I didn't hear anything back. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess he's not doing anything. Peter Saravalli. Yes. You know Peter Saravalli. I played with him, yeah. He comes up to me like a week before Bernstein's in town. He's like, hey, man, I'm getting a lesson with Bernstein. And I'm like, oh. What, what did you do? Like how, <laughs> like, how did you get in contact That's with him? Fun. He's like, did you email him? I'm like, yeah. He's like, dude, you got to message him on Facebook. And I'm like, oh. That's so <laughs> unexpected, but okay. And sure enough, I sent him an, uh, I sent him a message on Facebook, and he gets back to me like later that day, and he's like, "Yeah, you can you can meet me in my hotel. We'll do a lesson." That was that was crazy. That was like one of the first like things of like me initiating like real world contact, and like getting uh, getting a response, getting a result, right? And was this not the beginning of you eventually got a grant to go study with him? I, I yeah. This so was we, before that. This was the yes. beginning of your journey with Peter Bernstein, <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. how you so started that, it. So I built that rapport with him, um, and you know we we had a great time. You know it was supposed to be an hour, and we ended up playing for an hour and a half. And he was like, I gotta go have lunch with weeds, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so like we ended our lesson, and he was just like, Yeah, sounds great, man. Like hit me up again, and eventually, you know, I yeah, I ended up writing this grant. A proposal to go study with him he was cool with it and like you know i would never have like had instinct to reach out if like that if i had never gotten that kind of like first response right so like after that i had kind of this instinct to to reach out to whomever right so because you did it and you saw that it actually works or and, that it, and it materialized work. right yeah. like you, you just have to show i guess show initiative and show like show that you have something to offer i suppose so same thing with with Bruno. It was just like, oh well, I'm just gonna send him a message, and that worked out. And then eventually, you know, I applied for this grant where I was able to study with Bernstein, and I actually got this advice from Christian Brathen, who had also successfully gotten grant, a study grant. And he said, you know, figure out who the program officer is for your grant program, reach out to them directly, and introduce yourself and be like, hey, I'm a person who exists in the real world. And they will probably help you out. Right. There's people out there who are waiting to be reached out to. Chances are you are the type of person that that they want to reach out to them. And if you're not, then they'll let you know. But like... If you're not yet, then they'll <laughs> right, let you know. Yeah. They might even tell you what you need to work on. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think I think that's what it is. Is like, I think you have to do some research, right? You have to you have to figure out like what your lane is for for example right like you know I don't I don't think I could have reached out to Corey and asked for a gig at the cellar when I was 22 with no experience yeah but I was able to reach out to Bruno and ask for a gig at the Libre Room because according to my research that is that that was the most likely place to give me a gig and and I was right and you know I had learned these things from talking to David who had already been playing at the Libre Room a whole bunch and he was like oh why aren't you already playing at the Libre Room you should play contact Bruno this is his you know information there's a reason why I refer to the jam as a community gathering 
there are other things that are, you know, that function the same way, but the jam is free and it happens at the same time every week um, with generally the same people running it. It's a perfect example of, of a community gathering, meaning you can engage with the community that you are part of, or you can join the community, you can get resources available through the community. So resources could just be information, right? If you ask Sharon, where's a good place to play piano? Like, who should I, who should I contact for like, for a gig or something like that? You know, you'd probably be able to tell you or anybody else, or you can meet somebody there. I know this happens all the time. You can meet somebody at the jam who is uh, in a similar place to you career-wise who you can collaborate with and you can build a group and you can have a project and you can present that project to somebody. I would say like, just like making yourself a part of the community in some way, however you can, I think is one of the most crucial parts because that's what you're trying to do is, is to participate in a community, be able to prove that you are willing to contribute to the community in some way. Right. Um, and there are many ways to do that, you know, make connections, make new friends, hopefully, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, and, you know, let these things grow organically through that, through those connections, but also be proactive, reach out to people, ask who you can re out, reach out to. Don't, don't sit on your hands, I guess. How do you ask who you can reach out to? Is this like one of your peers? This is kind of like what you're talking about when you had a conversation with, uh, with, with David and then he said... Yeah. Why aren't you playing here? So who do you reach? You yeah, said reach yeah, out, you can reach out. out you can, you can reach out to David, right? Uh, I I just mean uh, at this point, I think you know I'm I'm becoming you know one of the you know older young people in the in the scene or you know you're established. I you are. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 more established than than I was five years ago, right? Mm -hmm. And and so you could ask you could ask me. You could ask yeah, just people who have. And people do like, ask like me. What, people like, do ask me for who sure. Ask, who ask yeah. you? Yeah. Or like what you were saying, like at the, at the beginning of the episode, like asking somebody who's two steps ahead of you, right? Yeah. Like getting getting advice from that person because they'll be able to provide like a kind of like a more practical version of advice, right? Like I'm I'm giving kind of more generic advice where it's just like be a part of the community, ask somebody who who probably knows the answer to a question. When you join the community, you can identify that person, build some some sort of relationship with them, right? Like, there are people who I guess you could call gatekeepers, which um, doesn't have to be bad. Yeah, you know they they serve a purpose, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but like the the same thing I hear from from all the people who are booking music, they want to hear from people and they want to book people who are active in the community, who are participating in a yeah. way that they can it is legible to them that they can see yeah totally yeah. yeah exactly exactly which is more than fair right that's generous really they don't have to go that far they could be like no i need to i need numbers i need to know that you are you know you're able to bring this kind of crowd that kind of thing that's kind of like a you know i've i've heard that kind of thing before and just asking for you to be a member of the community is I don't think a, a a big ask. Like generally, what I would tell people is try to be try try to be there, make connections. Don't just you know show up and leave without talking to somebody. Like you can you can usually spark a conversation with somebody at Pat's. Like Sharon is Sharon Minamoto is um the the 
nicest, most generous person in the universe. <laughs> so like you can talk to her and she will, she will give you the time of day. And she, she makes herself very busy at the jam, but, uh, but she will still talk to you. And she, she, she's a, she's a really good person to talk to because she, she knows what's going on. She's relevant. But yeah, there's like her, there's like Bonnie at, uh, second floor, um, Corey even, right? Like, although Corey has a podcast now where he just tells you what to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> where I, he tells me what to do. Yeah, he tells you what to do. Yeah. Yeah, I ask him and he, yeah. and, and he tells me he, what to do. He's interested in, in, in doing that because, I mean, Corey Weeds, you know, he's, he's the guy. <laughs> That's so funny because he literally said on episode one of Jazz Office Hours, the first one that we put out this month, he yeah. said like a couple of years ago, he he literally said people started saying i'm the guy he's the guy and like he it's didn't true. he ne he never sat down to think about that because he's just going so in his mind he's still like a young guy coming up and like totally. he honestly just thinks that every day and so he didn't really sit down and think about what it meant that other people were thinking he was the guy now until yeah. like very very recently i mean i think it yeah. is I, I think everybody kind of experiences that right yeah um everyone is a little bit divorced from their public perception, right? Especially if you're a person who just has their head down. Of course you would feel that way. But I mean, the seller was, I mean, you know, that, that that's there isn't anywhere else where you'd be able to see Christian McBride play in yeah. October. For like two or three nights. Yeah. yeah I saw right? him. Like, I remember that one. Uh, with yeah. Christian Sands and... Uh, yeah. Um, On drums, Ulysses Owens? Ulysses, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Ulysses Owens. Yeah. And then, oh, and all the way up to like George Coleman and Harold Mayburn, of course, yeah. too, right? People like that. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But he went to, we. this is material for a future episode of Jazz Office Hours probably too, but like he went to New York with the attitude that we were talking about earlier. Like he went to New York to reach out. Yeah, like, exactly. Like to, to, to try and introduce himself to people who were established there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. Exactly. Like it, it just, it, it keeps evolving, you know, like it keeps, it's always going to feel like it's always going to feel like you're appealing to a, to a larger. It should. Cause that means you're learning and you're like striving yeah. to. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. that's, that's true. Yeah. Um, but I mean, so don't be afraid of that feeling, I guess. Yeah. Cause it's always going to feel like, it's always going to feel like that. And, um, yeah, like, like it's, it's a, it's, it's an important, it's a skill to like be able to do that and feel okay about it and not feel weird and small to to reach out to a larger entity entity you know um yeah reach out thank you for tuning into this unorthodox but fascinating in my opinion episode of the rhythm changes podcast i hope you enjoyed it and if you did you can find more of what I do at rhythmchanges.ca and sign up for the free weekly article that I write. This week I reviewed an album by Ariane Rassico. It's a progressive modern jazz piano trio album that rocks pretty hard. Check that out and if you like it, sign up for future editions of the free weekly article at rhythmchanges.ca.